Every year, NM Cole convenes for an annual summit to highlight the previous year's successful collaborative efforts and to look forward to future opportunities in the land of enchantment. We are taking a different approach to virtual events this year, and instead of our usual day-long summit, we are hosting this mini-podcast series focused on collaborative efforts. This will be followed by a short summit meeting on April 21st via Zoom. Our goal for the summit this year is to not only encourage you all to engage with the content of the interviews, but to give you the opportunity to do so from somewhere other than in front of your screen. I'm Ariel Quintana, tribal member from Cochile Pueblo and an education and outreach project manager with the Kibira Coalition. And this is the NM Cool Podcast. I'll be a co-host for this series. Hello everyone, my name is Ariel Quintana and I will be co-hosting our NM Cool podcast episode today. I would like to welcome Dr. Valerie Small and Sebastian Africano from Trees, Water, and People to our podcast. Can you please introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Sebastian Africano. I'm the Executive Director of Trees, Water, and People in Fort Collins, Colorado. I've been with the organization for some 16 years and have worked in 14 countries during that time doing community development work. Good morning. Uh, my name is Dr. Valerie Small, and I am the National Program Director for Trees, Water, and People, and I've been with TWP uh, for two years now. Necha, thank you both for joining us today. Can you please describe the tribal-led restoration efforts of Trees, Water, and People in New Mexico? So in New Mexico, we've been working on tribal-led reforestation and restoration efforts since 2018. We started working with the Santo Domingo Pueblo and quickly added on relationships with Cochiti Pueblo and Jemez Pueblo to look at the burn scars of the Las Conchas fire in 2011, how they're affecting runoff, erosion, sedimentation, affecting water supply, quality, and agriculture. I'd like to add just a bit to that also is that when we started our efforts in Santa Domingo and later the formation uh, through Cynthia Naha, the director of natural resources with Santa Domingo, Gewa had created the now known uh, Tri-Pueblo Coalition, which consists of Jemez, Cochiri, and Santa Domingo for uh, collective efforts within the East Hamas landscape in order to address the post-burn scar site issues with succession. And so that has been a real honor for us to be able to bring in trees that are particularly culturally significant trees, important in ceremony, which are the Douglas fir, to plant in areas up there to restore those forest systems that were decimated by this Los Conchas fire. Thank you both for sharing more about the project. And I do want to revisit a piece that I heard from you all in terms of the importance of tribes involvement and your mention of culturally significant species. And I'm curious if either of you would like to talk more about what is unique about tribal-led restoration efforts and what is unique about TWP's approach in participating in that type of collaboration. 
the uniqueness in how Trees, Water, and People addresses work that is tribal-led is that we the projects do not belong to Trees, Water, and People. These are actually projects that the tribe has developed, designed, and plans to lead and actually play an active role in implementation. The forest restoration projects, particularly, where we bring communities together in order to address these degraded forest ecosystems. So the uniqueness in that Trees, Water, and People essentially um, puts the ownership of the project where it, it's, it belongs, which is with the tribe. So that is unique in, the, in light of the fact that we don't necessarily bring species mixes of trees um, into a community, a tribal community, that say the Forest Service feels is necessary for conservation. Rather, it's the priorities that are dictated by the cultural priorities of the tribe that we try to help focus on in terms of our restoration work and then try to expand that to landscape scale. Trees, Water, and People's approach is never a push approach. We, we really interact and try to build trust and a relationship with the community that we are proposing to work with before actually entering into any kind of project or agreement. There's always opportunities at that point to, to really flesh out priorities, flesh out visions, um, where there might be an, an opportunity for us to channel resources to a certain project or a priority of the tribe or a goal of the tribe. Sometimes it's something that's been left aside for lack of resources or lack of capacity for many years. Uh, and there's been a lot of will or a lot of interest in doing something about a natural resource issue. But, uh, you know, it, it takes that catalyzing moment of us starting the conversation and really just offering our services and, and starting to build that relationship for those ideas to come forth and to start to, to, to gain life and to start to gain momentum. Thank you both for sharing more. I, I want to make sure that we're providing our listeners with a, a deeper understanding of what it actually means to engage in tribal-led efforts and what's unique about those as opposed to more standard collaboration structures and even community-based collaboration structures, which don't necessarily get at the heart of what tribal-led is and what it means and how you do that in practice as opposed to just in theory. And so thank you for sharing more. Why is collaboration for working land stewardship in New Mexico important to trees, water, and people? And how does this happen in your work? Collaboration is really the key to anything that Trees, Water, and People does because we depend on local organizations to both guide the process, lead the process, and, and establish those priorities and, and goals of, of, of the community or of the initiative. I would like to add to that as well. It's important to have community involvement and dedication to, to the project. These projects work because you have local leaders or Indigenous nonprofits that are local that understand the community needs and wants intimately better than we do. And so we often try to work in collaboration with their wants and needs. And again, as Sebastian mentioned earlier, it's because they lack the resources or the capacity. And it's always our goal at Trees, Water, and People is to try to build local community capacity to address natural resource issues. Thank you both for sharing more. 
who are some key partners in New Mexico who you're working with to engage in tribal-led restoration efforts? So in New Mexico, our key partners are the, the Tri-Pueblo Coalition, which is made up of Kiwa Pueblo, Cochiti Pueblo, and Jemez Pueblo in the East Jemez Mountains. We work with National Indian Youth Leadership Project, NIYLP out of Albuquerque, the Kivera Coalition as well, and also uh, the Santa Fe Indian School has been a great partner, both for our natural resource management work and restoration work, as well as our solar education work. I'd like to add just one more high watermark, which is led by Phoebe Sunya, who is, and I believe, a member of the Cochiri, who's also helping us with some of the canyon bottomland issues that we're trying to address as well collectively with some of the Pueblos to restore some water quality and water quantity issues in that area. So these are some of our collaborators we have mentioned that sort of cover an array of things. So whether that's with riparian watershed issues, but it's also with Quivera Coalition specifically working on rangeland workshops to help Pueblos who are farmers and ranchers on restoring degraded pasture lands and restoring some grazing land that have been neglected or overgrazed, also addressing some feral horse issues. So what we try to do is to bring in these really local partners that are indigenous-based or run or have a long history working with tribes, successful history, and understand how to work with tribes to help address these various natural resource issues that tribes are faced with given a changing climate. Thank you for sharing more about your collaborations in New Mexico. I'm, it's exciting to hear and to be able to provide this to our listeners on the diversity of what happens when you engage in collaborations on tribal lands and all the different people who you can include within those projects instead of some of the more typical assumptions of what tribal projects are in the sense that it's only tribes, but it's this really demonstrates the diversity that can happen within those types of projects. So thank you for sharing more. Where is the biggest opportunity to shift tribal land stewardship and restoration when collaboration happens? opportunity to shift tribal land stewardship restoration projects happens when the uh, tribe has already set their priorities based upon uh, sometimes their own climate adaptation plans. And this is so that tribes can focus on uh, those species that are integral to the expression of their culture, be it that they are important food sources or they are utilized for ceremonial purposes or integral to the tribal cultural identity. And so that's what sort of separates us when we look to shift tribal land stewardship restoration collaborative projects is to make sure that those are front and center when it comes to providing a mix of different species that are planted in these indigenous lands.
I think the biggest opportunity to shift stewardship and restoration with a collaborative approach is really to ensure that tribes are, are leading the charge, really establishing their priorities. They have a seat at the table. Case in point is in New Mexico, where we work in the East Hemis Mountains. There's kind of a patchwork of, of agency management and tribal management of different lands. And, and natural resources. And so a lot of our work has been to ensure that tribes have uh, an outsized voice in those discussions of how the watershed is gonna be managed and that we're looking at the, at the opportunity as a, a landscape scale approach, a watershed scale approach, ensuring that we're treating the area in a way that's going to benefit the watershed as a whole and not differently based on who specifically manages that land. So, you know, really recognizing tribal sovereignty, really uh, ensuring that there's a good flow of communication in both directions between the agencies that work in that area that are non-tribal and the, and the tribal uh, governments and their natural resource departments, I think is the biggest opportunity and the biggest shift that we've been able to help move forward in the past three years of working in New Mexico. sharing more. I'd like to take a second to ask the question and to ask if one of you or both of you would like to expand on how you define tribal sovereignty, because I feel like that is a topic and a subject and interest that our listeners maybe don't have a lot of experience with and don't have a full understanding of, especially in relation to collaborations and why tribal sovereignty plays a so role US tribes in this type of work. are essentially nations within a nation. They were granted this during the treaties in the late 1800s when the reservation era began and the Dawes Act was enacted. So these tribes have various ways in which their recognition through the federal government, but then managed through a, a trust agent called the Bureau of Indian Affairs that oversees all lands and resources within these reservations, the boundaries of reservations. So essentially, tribes are separate nations that have sovereignty over their land and resources to a degree. Unfortunately, it's not always easy for them to do any restoration efforts without having the oversight from the Bureau of Indian Affairs come into play. So oftentimes, NEPA comes into play. But to express tribal sovereignty, tribes are now taking a lead role in making sure that their voices and their priorities are heard within collaborative landscape scale projects when you're looking at multi-actor collaborators so that their best interests are front and center. And also they often have very unique and relationship to the land itself and a long history of understanding those lands. And so have elders that in traditional ways of knowing, of knowledges, that can often help with the management of that land. For instance, any lands that have prescribed burning, which was banned, you know, by the federal government through the Forest Service, and now recognizing that that's an important part in land restoration projects in keeping healthy forests. So this is how in which 
tribal sovereignty can be expressed and, and honored is through by not just giving them a seat at the table, but recognizing they are separate nations with their own ability and their own priorities to express their needs and wants and priorities when it comes to the management of their own natural resources. Thank you, Val, for sharing more about what tribal sovereignty is and how it comes into play and how it really should affect the types of collaborations that tribes engage in and how tribes should be included within collaborations. And so thank you for sharing more about that. I feel like that's very important for our listeners to understand what does the word community mean to you and how does it inform how you will go about creating mutually beneficial partnerships and spaces? Community is such a broad concept and can mean different things in different places. I think that one thing that defines a community is care for people in your immediate vicinity, uh, uh, stewarding of your of your resources and waste sinks, um, ensuring that you're creating a healthy environment that surplus is redistributed, that people have what they need in your um, in your given community. And there's communities of organizations and sectors. And there's communities of people that are neighbors. And there's community of people that have lineage and heritage that they share. And so it can be kind of on the micro scale a community or on the macro scale of much bigger. Like I'm part of the, the Latinx community, which if you think about it, I mean, encompasses a lot of the Americas. And I feel like that is my community. But at the same time, in my my local community, you know, it's networks of organizations, networks of people that share a common vision of how society should be organized, how resources should be distributed, how goals should be achieved, and how information and knowledge should be exchanged. Really, really, it's a, a group of people or organizations that, that are trying to lift each other up towards a common goal or purpose. Community can also mean what we refer to sometimes as an endearing way is Indian country, is that, you know, we have a group of indigenous um, academic leaders who are actively working within their communities or within indigenous communities at large throughout the United States, and that I often lean on them or look to them for their research and work and knowledge, as well as my own community and community can also mean when we work in creating beneficial partnerships is really looking within that area, whether it's within the reservation and a group of communities within that reservation that are looking to build collaborations to mostly focus on improving health and improving access to food sources. And that means addressing, you know, degraded ecosystems, which is how we approach our, you know, beneficial partnerships and spaces in creating that. And so the community within where we work, the feedback and the cooperation within that community is key because grassroots efforts are really the ones that will be sustainable and create the best outcome for those people within that community. And moving into a follow-up question, what are key ingredients to success in your tribal-led collaborations, and how is that unique as opposed to other forms of collaboration? I'd like to start with respecting 
the sacred, respecting that all things have a spirit and recognizing that each indigenous community and tribe have their own way in which they practice ceremony that's some oftentimes included in any of our on-the-ground work or collaboration meetings, whether that's smudging or prayer. So making sure that we honor and recognize and lift those elders in the community to be a part of anything that we engage with in that community. So recognizing the knowledge of elders, uh, making sure that we have uh, connections with our youth to connect those two so that we can foster the intergenerational transfer of knowledges and in languages and identification of important places that are historical, identification of specific plants in that language. So the key ingredients, I would say, in our success is making sure that we honor ceremony, practice, priorities, whether that's in a meeting or whether that is out in the field planting trees and making sure that these voices are heard uh, prior to the enactment of any projects and done in a way in which it honors the sacredness of what we're doing in, in healing these homelands. Yeah, I think a key ingredient for success in our collaborations, specifically in our tribal-led collaborations, is, is really creating that space to understand each other on an organizational level, understand the goals historically and, and into the future of the tribe or the tribal entity or the tribal partner, and, and really look for those symbiotic relationships where we have an overlap both in our goals and our capacity to deliver on those goals and and that there's already an active interest in in the work we're proposing to do together that we're not that we're not spearheading the effort and i think creating that space to 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 understand to ask questions to listen um to i mean i really appreciate the space held for prayer and ceremony where we work in New Mexico, I think that that's such an important, because that's that's another form of consultation, right? Of, of is this the right way? Is this the right path? And and we really follow that lead. Success for us, no matter where we work, because we work with indigenous communities throughout Central America as well, is really that first step of listening, creating a relationship, understanding what we can do together, what, you know, where the limits are, the guardrails are, where, you know, we won't tread without permission or without clarity of, of what the goals are and uh, and where the resources will come from to meet those goals. And and really when we when all those things click together, then we can take that first step of saying, okay, let's let's design something, start small and check in afterward to see if it's going the right direction. So constant communication, transparency, interaction and, and clarity. Um, just to make sure that we're all always on the right path and not setting setting off in another direction without um, being fully in agreement first. Yeah, I want to reflect on 
a comment that I heard from you, Val, in that, you know, to engage in this type of work and to have success is to practice this in all different spaces. And that's from meetings to the field. And that is embodying it throughout the process and the intentionality of tribal-led and following the lead of tribes is it's from the beginning to the end and it's even beyond and it's not even even to say beginning and the end is misleading because this work is in perpetuity to develop this relationship means that there ideally is no end to the support that we can give to tribes in our work and so I really wanted to thank you for that comment because I feel it really gets at the heart of what tribal-led projects are and what tribal-led collaboration is. What tools or strategies have you used to build trust as you collaborate with tribes? Well, I think Sebastian already mentioned some of these strategies, which is to have have a meeting and to identify needs, listen carefully to what it is their needs are and identify what resources they might lack or need you know, help with and what we do is not really look to just bring someone in and collaborate with a different organization to provide a service and leave, but rather we're always looking to make sure the tribe understands we're there to also build local capacity. So I think that's an important strategy and, and a tool that can be continually used once you pass that knowledge on from that particular organization that's collaborating in providing a workshop or any knowledge building for from a Western science perspective. And then allowing also the fact that their the strategy is also to make sure that we encourage utilizing the you know traditional knowledges to incorporate into the process of their projects so that we make sure that they understand that we are giving them the space to do things in their way that they feel is most appropriate. And I think Sebastian mentioned it and and said it quite well, is that when dealing with outside organizations, we first have to make sure that they already have sort of a track record, if you will, of working with tribes and successfully working with tribes or have tribal members within their organizations that understand how best to build trust. And I think one last thing that Sebastian always talks about that we at TWP do, whether we're in Central America or in the United States, is to under-promise and over-deliver. I think it's important to note that our point of entry isn't always with the tribal government or a tribe itself. Uh, We work with uh, several different organizations that are tribally led or indigenous led and that often leads to conversations and a a greater relationship with the tribe down the road but but yeah um you know i think that the best strategy to build trust is to uh, do what you say you're going to do and and deliver on 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 what you agreed upon and and like valerie said um under promise and over deliver is is generally our watchword we don't want to over promise and then fall short because that can affect trust Reciprocity is a really important one for me as well. Uh, we, you know, we both have to be rowing at the same pace and in the same direction to get to where we want to go. And if one of us is rowing at one pace or speed and the other at another, you go around in circles, right? And so we want to make sure that 
that everyone's clear on the goals, everyone's clear on the capacity and the limits to what we can do with the resources we have, and that we want to start building, start small, right? Achieve small successes and small wins uh, that eventually lead to incremental growth and then transformational growth. I think that the most healthy relationships are built that way, a little bit at a time, um, building trust, um, sharing in successes, and then uh, looking at the bigger opportunity that comes after that success. I feel like you'll always hear relationships being thrown, thrown out in those types of conversations, but no one really embodies the practice of what relationship building is, and not everyone gives the attention that relationships need and require. Yeah, I, I really feel that um, building local capacity is, is really at the core of our tenet and what we do and how we work within tribal spaces and, and tribal communities as a whole, uh, whether we're here or in Central America. And that's something that, you know, uh, sometimes it's not possible because of the size or the limited resources, but certainly that should be the goal for all who engage with tribes is to lift their voices and make sure that they have what they need to continue to lead their own efforts and build their own economies um, around natural resources Thank you both. And to wrap up the conversation, are there any suggested resources for folks to continue to learn more about tribal-led restoration, about tribal land stewardship, about TWP's work? I just want to mention that we are, in our response to COVID-19, what we are trying to do is to develop and add on to our current web, to the webinar series we offered last year in late fall for empowering tribal culture, ecology, and food systems, but to now provide some videography and practical from Indigenous voices who are doing these active food sovereignty, greenhouse grow, growing food distribution uh, systems. And so we're going to do some videography on the ground and how they do starts and how to collect seeds and store those. So that was the feedback we received from our webinar series we offered last fall, and we're going to continue to offer that, as well as offering now a virtual solar warrior empowerment training program that will reach seventh, you know, sort of middle-aged tribal reservation schools to help build self-esteem, learn about renewable energy, to build future leaders, promote teamwork skills, and we do that in collaboration with the National and Youth Leadership Project who really brings a pro-social emotional behavior component to the more difficult side of learning how to put together a small solar 12-volt suitcase as they learn watts and Nietzsche, Dr. Valerie Small, and Sebastian for participating in this conversation today. It has been so meaningful to hear all of the great work and all of the great efforts of Trees, Water, and People and the amazing support that you've been offering to our tribal nations here in New Mexico, as well as our other indigenous relatives across the globe, and to hear about the sincerity and authenticity in your work and in the way that you do things, that it's, you know, it's more than a job, and it's, it's a passion that we hold in these spaces that is very unique, that is very sacred, that is very important. And so I want to thank you both so much for participating in the conversation today. Yeah, thanks so much for having us, Ariel. This was such a great conversation. 
And yeah, we're standing on the shoulders of those that came before us. So we're just continuing the work and there'll be more for us to do and for, for next generations to do too. Thank you so much, Kahe. That concludes this episode of the NM Cool podcast. Again, this is one of a handful of podcasts the NM Cool Network will be releasing over the next few weeks leading up to the annual summit. The summit is scheduled for April 21st at 10 a.m. Mountain Time via Zoom. For more information and to register for this year's summit, go to nmcool.org forward slash annual summit. That is nmcewl.org forward slash annual summit. Thanks for tuning in.